Today we're going to finish up just this quick two-week series on covenant and what covenant means in Scripture. So as you're reading your Bible and you hear about this, you see this word covenant, right? This word, this word covenant and what that means. Last week we talked about, I'm sorry, kids, kids. Go, you're like, oh. Yes, going back, kids, sorry. Run away, run away. Oh, don't say that. Sorry. You know, I'm never, I'm never going to forget one year. It was just before Christmas break. One year before Christmas break, and we were, I was taking my children to school, and there, I, I, I'm a Christmas song junkie, all right? Just roll with it. Halloween ends, Christmas songs out. Um, and there's a song that says, um, Mom and Dad can hardly wait for school to start again. I forget which song that is exactly, but yeah, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Mom and Dad can hardly wait for school to start again. Well, I'm singing that as I'm taking the boys to school, and my son from the back seat goes, is that true, Dad? You want to get us out of the house after Christmas break? No, no, I'm sorry. That's a bad song. Don't ever sing that. <laughs> You know, don't ever sing that song again. Don't, don't, just skip that line. Um, I, do you ever have those moments as parents, you're just doing stuff, and then suddenly you realize, oh, that's not right. I can't do that. Like, don't sing that in front of your kids, right? Get out of here, kid. Um, anyway, I don't know where that came from. Covenant part two. So when we talked about covenant last week, just as a quick reminder, we talked about in our culture, we have a promise, right? We promise somebody, and that's probably as good as, the person's word, or we have a contract, right? And we have a legal document that we sign, and that's a contract. But in Scripture, there's this even greater word called covenant. And last week, we just kind of laid the framework of what a covenant was, what a covenant looks like. A covenant is a lifelong, lifelong connection between you and the other person. Right? And we talked about that in a covenant, blood must be drawn from both parties and mingled. And so we talked about that it was typically a blood covenant between two people, and they would either uh, cut their wrist, or if you work in the medical industry, just plug your ears, and you would cut your, or you would cut your hand, and both hands being cut with open wounds would shake hands, and the blood would mingle and get into the other person. Right? I mean, can you imagine Right? Some of you from a medical perspective are going, whoa. But this was a covenant because life was seen to exist in the blood. And so what you were doing is sharing your life with my life. And now everything that I have is yours and everything that you have is mine. And we would mingle that. And that would become, we would become one through that. Right? So if I became wealthy, you became wealthy. If you became poor, I became poor. Everything was shared. Our children were shared. Everything was shared because we are in covenant together. And so that's what we talked about. We talked about a little bit about how marriage is a covenant, right? We talked some about that. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, it talks about David and Jonathan being in covenant together. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him 
and did not let him return to his home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. All right, so here we have Saul, who is king, his son Jonathan, and this shepherd boy who was laden with poverty, sleeping with sheep, stunk like sheep, but he exchanged his coat with Jonathan, who was a prince. And so the prince put on the coat of a poor shepherd, and the poor shepherd put on a coat of a king, and they guarded one another, and they, they protected one another, and they looked after one another. And then Jonathan's dad, Saul, says, man, you're such good friends with my son. I tell you what, don't ever go back and take care of the sheep. I want you to live in the palace with me. You and my son are best friends. Don't go back to that. Stay here. And we know from other scriptures that when David would play his lyre before King Saul, it says that the demonic forces of, of anger and rage would leave Saul as David played. And so I'm sure there's probably some selfish motive behind Saul to keep David around as well. Uh, because David, as he played, he would rout the spirits from Saul. And so David gets invited to stay in the palace. Well, as time goes on, David gets anointed to be the next king. But Saul can't let go. And so because Saul can't let go, and Saul begins to do evil in the eyes of God, Right? God says, I've got to have to remove you from the throne because David is the next generation and David's way of doing things is what's coming. Saul, I need you to step aside or hand the baton over. And Saul's like, no, not at all. And so the Bible simply says that Saul dies an early death so that David can become king. And in that battle, something tragic happens that sets us up for part two of today. In that battle, Jonathan dies early. Saul dies in the battle. <clears throat> now, David's been anointed to be the next king. Who should have been the next king? Jonathan. But he wasn't because he died in battle. And David has been anointed by the prophet with oil to say, you're going to be the next king. So what happens to Jonathan's family when Jonathan dies? What happens to his kids and to his wealth and to everything that he has? Who's he made covenant with? David. Now David, the poor shepherd boy, is now responsible for Jonathan's family because they're in covenant together. They've mixed blood. They've worked together. This is a covenant. So we come to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let's read that. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It says, David asked, is there anyone, this is, now this is David, he's become king now. So we, we've skipped a whole bunch of information, all right? We've skipped a whole bunch of information in scripture, but let's get to this story in 2 Samuel 9. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king asked, 
Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is still at the house of Mekar, the son of Emil of Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mekar, son of Emil. You guys are going to like overlook, have some grace towards me with the names, right? <laughs> so when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, See, I told you. Mephibosheth, at, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now let's skip ahead to verse 13. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Now, what we have to understand is this. What David should have done, what was typical, is when you replace a king, you slaughter the other king's family so that they have no claim to the throne. You wipe out that entire family. That was very typical in that day. It was very typical in other countries around Israel because if I'm king now, I don't want any descendant of the former king coming back and saying the throne rightfully belongs to to me. Right? You guys, are you, this is a common practice. So what David had the right to do is say, you know what? I'm in power now. I'm going to slaughter all of King Saul's family. But that's not how David operated. David said, you know what? Jonathan was a good friend of mine. We were blood brothers. We did everything together. Jonathan even spared my life from his own dad one time. So out of the kindness of my heart, and because there's a covenant, because Jonathan's kids should be my kids, and my kids should be Jonathan's kids, does Jonathan have any descendants left? Yeah, there's this guy named Mephibosheth, and he can't walk, and he's, he's out there, and David says, bring him, bring him. Now, just put yourself in Mephibosheth's shoes, literally. Like, think through this for a minute. You know that the king has the right to slaughter you, to put you to death because you are a descendant of the former king. What do you think is going through his mind? What would go through your mind? Just hear me, talk back to me. What would go through your mind if you're Mephibosheth? He's going to kill me, right? What else might go through your mind? Fear, worry, what, Tim? Run. Except for his legs don't work. But yes. <laughs> Missed that part of the story, didn't you? All right. See, you never know when the pastor's going to call on you, and it was important to pay attention to what the, we read. So, yes, run, get away, right? But here's what Mephibosheth didn't know. He was in the blood covenant. He was in the blood covenant covenant with David and his dad, Jonathan, but he didn't know that, and all his life, he hid. All his life, he 
ran, right? He had his servants take him someplace, get away from Israel, get away from King David, run. It's not going to be good. How many people outside the walls of this church say things like, I don't want to go to church, the building will collapse. God will strike it with lightning. All of these things they say, why? Because we've told them over and over and over, God is an angry God, and so because he was angry, he killed his own son. Now, why would they want to walk into a building where that's what they're going to hear? Would that say, oh yeah, let me go worship that God? No, because in their mind, we have told them for so long that God is angry and vengeful and mad. They're not going to walk in here. This is what Mephibosheth thought about David. I want nothing to do. So because of his misconception, because of his misconception, he is now living a life with no purpose except for to stay alive in his mind. He's, being, he's, in, he's living in poverty outside of Israel with the Arabs. He's supposed to be the next king. He's supposed to have power. He's supposed to be wealthy. He's supposed to have influence. But because of his misconception and everything that he thinks he thinks, he's living in poverty. And David's just here going, where, where, does Jonathan have any sons that I can show kindness to? And the world out there thinks, don't go in that building, don't connect with those people because they've got, they've got this notion that God is just angry at everybody. And if that's the way God is, then I don't need anything to do with that because I've got enough of my own problems, let alone trying to please God, which I know I'll never be able to do. Right? And so when you say, come to church with me, come to church, they're not coming. You have to ask an unchurched person at least seven times to come to church before they will ever seriously even start to think about it. Seven times. Right? Statistically, we know that. For them to even begin to think, maybe I should try to go. Seven times. So if you're asking somebody, you're praying for somebody, just keep asking. Just keep asking. Keep saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. Because they have to begin to see that our God is a God of love. That our God, is in the, our God is in the business of restoring his creation. And then we as humanity, as the pinnacle of that creation, he's in, the, he's in to recreating us and making us new. For a new heaven and a new earth. You see, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a political statement. It's a political statement to say it's about his kingdom and it doesn't matter if I live under a democratic republic or communism or socialism or any other type of form of government. I belong to that government, and whatever that government tells me to do is what I'll do. That's kingdom mentality. That's saying God's word matters above everything else. And the chief thing in this is that uh, you love others like you love yourself, that Jesus said they would know his followers by our love. But if we're walking out those doors going, well, God was mad at your sin, so he killed his son. What? If that's all we're telling them, don't expect them to walk through the door. They got enough stuff with screaming kids and getting to work on time and dealing with the inter interstate traffic, and they're not, isn't, they ain't going to buy it. We have to show them that God is a God of love. And this is where Mephibosheth sat. I don't want nothing to do with David. David's going to kill me. David has the right to kill me. He's the king now. He's going to destroy me. 
but I can imagine that if any of us were Mephibosheth, we would sit and we would think, I was supposed to be king. I was supposed to rule. I was supposed to be. I was supposed to. I was supposed to. I was supposed to. Here's what I want you to know, that God is still the God of supposed to. Listen, if God has promised you something, don't let go of it. Hold on to it. Because God will even, as we talked about, right, God's reckless love, there isn't a wall that he won't kick down. There isn't a thought that you've told yourself that's a lie that he won't tear down. He will tear it down. He used David to tear down the lies Mephibosheth was identifying with his broken condition. He was identifying with his poverty. He was identifying with everything except for the blood covenant of his father and David and the love that David had for his dad and for him. If we would begin to identify with the love that God has for us, if we would begin to identify the blood covenant that God made with himself to redeem his creation and say, that's who I am. I'm a redeemed person, redeemed because of the love of God. If we begin to identify with that and hold on to God's promises, he's still the God of supposed to, even though you don't see it yet. I've already started preaching to myself, right? God's given you a word and given you a promise, and even if you don't see it, he's still the God of supposed to. And he will kick down the thoughts in your head. He will kick down the ideas that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not blah, 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 blah. Whatever the lie is that you're telling yourself. He will kick it down. It's likely that he lived his life in fear. It's likely that he lived his life in hatred. He likely believed his grandfather's comments about Saul because Saul wanted to kill David. Saul hunted David down. Saul said, you won't be king. Your way of doing things won't happen. But God has a way of saying, no, they will. We'll just have to remove you and get you out of the way. Right? Saul's like, you won't do that. You won't do that. Not, you, you won't. You won't. This isn't the way it's supposed to happen. And what did Mephibosheth grow up hearing Grandpa say? All of that. All of the time. David can't be king because he doesn't do X, Y, Z. David can't be king because of this. David can't be king because of that. They can't be a Christian because they did that. They can't be a Christian because they did that. They can't be this because of that. They can't be this because of that. That can't be church because they don't do this. That can't be church because they don't do that. This is Mephibosheth. And there are too many Mephibosheths walking around in church going, judging. They can't be a Christian because they said the F word. They can't be a Christian because they had an extramarital affair. They can't be a Christian because you pick it. It's not our job to judge the heart. Our job is to love them and restore them to the king who is restoring all things unto himself. That's our job. Our job isn't to point to another church and say, well, they're shallow, and that makes them big. Really? You're taking the time to get to know them? Because Mephibosheth thought that about his father's covenant partner. And mm -mm. that wasn't the case. But what happens? Well, when we sit in our own little box and we can judge other churches because, well, you're like that, see? Yet, have you ever taken the time to get to know any of the leaders? Have you taken your time to ever talk to them? No, because it's safer to sit in our own little box and judge other people than to go out and find out that our misconceptions are wrong, that our thoughts are wrong. The best thing you can do for yourself in being disciples is to find other ministers 
to listen to other than me. To find other podcasts of Baptists and Pentecostals and Lutherans and Anglicans and listen and listen with your own filter and begin to wrestle with these things yourself. If you're just listening to one type of message and one type of theology all the time, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to turn in on yourself. You're going to be twisted. You're going to be so twisted. You need to be able to understand how to read scripture and filter it out through different views and different ideas. Because what happens is we sit in our boxes and then we get judgy. And then we wonder why we can't grow and we can't do anything. Well, it's not working. Well, you know what the definition of stupidity is? Doing the same thing over and over and over and expect a different result. Come on, right? Mephibosheth, I should have, I should have, I should have, I should have. I should be, I should be. But Mephibosheth never went out to find out for himself what was true. And so he sat in... He likely sat in fear and a judgment of David. He never connected with those in David's camp to find out if it was really true. All he knew was what he had heard. And all we know is what we know on YouTube. Well, that person said that that church like that's like that over there, and that preacher's like that over there. Really? You ever taking the time to get to know them? I know how people feel about Joel Osteen. I got a friend, though, who was an elder at Joel Osteen's church. And I can tell you, it's a different ball game. I know, firsthand. People might point out people like Rob Morris at Gateway, yet I know people at Rob's church. And I could go on and on and on. You might judge I-Town, but I know Dave Summerall. I grew up with the family. I can tell you, you can go on and on and on and on. But until you take the time to get to know people from different religious backgrounds, different versions of Christianity, until you take the time to get to know people, and find out, oh, it's different, but it's working. It's reaching the lost. Because otherwise, we're just going to be like Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth <laughs> sitting here going, oh, no, oh, I can't do that. I don't know. I have fear. I don't know. Oh. And we do it all the time on our jobs. I can't approach my boss about that. I can't approach my boss about that. Well, who's your boss, Jesus or your boss? So the, if you're feeling the prompting of the wild goose of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, go approach your boss, then go approach your boss. Right? You don't know what God's doing in the hearts of the other person. You don't know. And so what I want to tell you is this. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't be Mephibosheth. Because David's looking at Mephibosheth through the eyes of the covenant, not through the eyes of fear and doubt. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 8, we have this. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Do you notice how Mephibosheth perceives himself? I'm a dead dog. I'm just here waiting to die. Death has set in and I'm just waiting to die. What are you that you would be mindful and think about me, a dead dog? He, Mephibosheth already considered himself dead. It's over. This is the way it's going to be. It's just as how it is. And David reaches down. Think about this for a minute. Here's Mephibosheth. I, I assume he's on the ground. I assume he can't bow. I mean, I don't know. His legs don't work, right? And so he's on the ground before David. And he looks up. And he goes, I'm dead. <laughs> it's over. I'm dead. I've been dying. I've lived in poverty because of my preconceived notions and ideas of what I think. So I'm dead. 
And imagine the moment that David, keep in mind, he's got a scar. He's cut himself. He's got a scar from that covenant of we're shaking hands with Jonathan and mingling their blood. And David goes, no, you're not dead. And he either goes to shake his hand or he goes to put his arm around him and Mephibosheth sees the scar. David goes, let me tell you something. This scar isn't to kill you. This scar is to bring you to life so that you can enjoy a life that you've never known. That was David's response. Can you imagine the response of Mephibosheth? Why? Because the covenant between Jonathan and David Mephibosheth was blessed, not because of anything that he had done. He was blessed not because of anything that he could do. He lived in poverty because of ignorance. His life showed no growth because of ignorance of what he perceived to be the problem. Mephibosheth perceived this to be the problem. But it was just the opposite. And now because of David's covenant and the scar that embraced him, he said, no, no. In fact, David says, I want you to grow. I want you to flourish. There's a new king. There's a new way to do things. And it says, I want you to grow, and I want you to flourish, and I want to love you. This scar means you're a part of me, not hated. And so many times in our own life, we choose to live in poverty. We choose to live in fear. We choose to live in hatred. We choose to live because of the lies we believe. And all the while, Jesus with his scars are saying, no, no. I choose to embrace you, to show you a new way to be human and a new kingdom that is coming. Misconceptions are what the enemy uses to hold us back. And it takes the revelation of God to blow our misconceptions out of the water. And the covenant that David had made with Jonathan freed Mephibosheth from those misconceptions. I want to tell you something. This morning, God has called you by name. And he has said to his spirit and to his angels, go, move on them. And we can sit back and we can fight the leading and the moving of the Holy Spirit because of all of our misconceptions of church and church people and all of that. Or we can allow the hands that are scarred with nails to embrace us. The choice is ours. The decision is up to us. But here's what I can tell you. That when you choose to walk in covenant with Jesus, walk in covenant with the creator of the universe who knows you by name, the Bible says he knows the very hairs on your head, some more, some less. That was a joke. It's okay. Right? That he chooses to wrap his arms around you and say, I love you. And in that moment, 
you become a child of God and an heir. And you know what David as king did for Mephibosheth? He said, restore to him everything that was his dad's. You see, as an heir of the king of the universe, does an heir just get a portion of the property or does he get it all? He gets it all. He gets it all. And you know what else you get? What parent is going to allow their child to be beat up and run over? None. You get the Holy Spirit and God at your disposal to defend you and to look out for you and to watch over you. There was a gentleman in Africa who has understood this concept of covenant and he went out and nearly got killed by a tribe. But then he noticed that the tribe that was trying to kill him all had scars on their hands. And he knew immediately, that's it. So one day he began to be attacked by another African tribe. And he did this. And down both hands were a total of 50 scars. He had made 50 different covenants with 50 different tribes. And the tribe that began to attack him knew that if we attack him, we're attacking all 50. And all 50 will come hunt, all 50 tribes will come hunt us down. He had built himself a defense through covenant with other African tribes. When you enter into covenant with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you now have the armies of heaven at your disposal to defend you so that when the enemy attacks, You hold up your hands in praise to God and let the enemy see the scars to say, uh-uh. I'm in covenant with the king of the universe, the host of the armies of heaven, and if you attack, you will get all of heaven unleashed on you. That's what God offers. Will you be attacked? Sure, because the enemy out of pride is sometimes just not very smart. But every time, you come out the victor. So this morning, I want to invite you, if you're not in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ to say, I'm with Jesus till the end of the line, that he is my Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to come up this morning and make Jesus the Lord of your life, to say, God, forgive me for my misconception and my perceived ideas of what I thought you were and what I thought church was. Let's stand up this morning. I'm going to ask Aaron and Lori to come up here. And if I can get Lynn to come down on this side. If you're here this morning and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to enter into that covenant relationship with him, to let those nail-scarred hands embrace you in the walls of our of maybe preconceived ideas that you thought about church and Christians start coming down because we serve a God of love that's willing to do whatever it takes to bring you back into good standing and relationship with him. I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. If you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything else, they want to pray with you as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. 
Lord, as we walk out those doors, may we share the gospel of love, that you come to love us and to restore us and to bring us into right standing with you so that we can live under your kingdom rule and we can live for you. Lord, I pray as we go out these doors that you would use us for that. Lord, help us. We invite you even to demolish any preconceived ideas or notions like Mephibosheth have had to understand that David just wanted to love him. Lord, may we understand that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 You guys have a great week.